lovely Maple Grove, Minnesota, and SixFootMama.com. This is Still Growing with Jennifer Ebling. Still Growing is a gardening podcast dedicated to helping you and your garden grow. Hi there, everyone, and welcome to Still Growing, and thank you for listening. I'm your host, Jennifer Ebling. Well, have you recovered from the holidays? I know we had such a wonderful time this year. We got to see both sides of our family, and then we took a vacation. We followed the Golden Gophers to the Holiday Bowl in San Diego, and then we spent the rest of the week in San Diego. And with the help of my cousin, Jill Galvez, we were able to put together a really wonderful itinerary for the kids including the San Diego Zoo, which was a total treat. And I not only loved seeing the animals there, but the botanical gardens that they have in and around the zoo are fantastic. In fact, as we were walking into the zoo from Balboa Park, which in and of itself is a wonderful place to visit, we saw these huge elephant topiaries that were just incredible. So I think I took probably 20 pictures of just the elephant topiaries alone because they were so amazing. But just absolutely gorgeous. We had wonderful weather. Jill was telling me that the week before they had rain. And so San Diego just really held it together for us. We had great days, wonderful sunshine, and it was a much needed respite from the Minnesota cold, which is coming back this week. And so we feel ready to take that on now that we've had our wonderful, wonderful break. This week, I'm very excited to welcome new members that have joined during the month of December. In fact, there are so many, we're going to cover the welcome not only for this show, but we'll add more names for next show just to, just to kind of break it up a little bit. But new members that joined our listener community on Facebook this week include Stephanie Strong, Verlinda Minor, Connie Robison, Franny Oxford, Janelle Kristen Tomchak, Anne Wyden, and Tammy Kincaid. Tammy happens to be a floral designer in Corcoran, Minnesota. And I walked into the Wild Orchid. I had never been in there before. It's right next to the veterinarian for our dog, Sonny. And I had to get Sonny in there to get all of his vaccinations up to date before he spent his week at Pup Town while we were on vacation. And I happened to, out of the corner of my eye, see the front window for the wild orchid. And I had never been in there. And so the front window was absolutely lovely for the holidays, not only just floral designs, but some household really cute stuff for Christmas. And I thought, I'm going to stop in there after I take Sunny uh, to the vet. So I did, and it was wonderful. And the very first thing I saw when I opened the door was this lovely arrangement that happened to be made by Tammy. And so today, when I was going through the new member list for the Facebook group, there she was. So anyway, Tammy, thank you so much. I'm looking at this gorgeous design that you created. In fact, I'll take a picture and share it in the Facebook group. But if you like the show and you want to join the podcast group of for the listener community for the show, all you have to do is go to Facebook and type in Still Growing Podcast group. And then once I verify you're not a spam 
spammer or a robot, I'll welcome you into the group and you can join with other listeners of the show and share your own garden stories, interact with guests who have been on the show, some of the great guests like Anna Thomas of Vegan Vegetarian Omnivore, Deborah Madison of Vegetable Literacy, Marta McDowell of All the President's Gardens, just to name a few. So would love to see you in the group. The group is also the only place I go to offer giveaways from my guests and sponsors. And right before Christmas break, the show that I had done was with Robin Pearer. Now, Robin is the author of The Plant Lover's Guide to Hardy Geraniums. And that show ended up being one of my absolute favorites for 2016. So if you haven't listened to the show, give that one a listen. It is episode 551 of the Still Growing Podcast. And you will learn all about the geranium family, not only the pelargoniums, which most of us think of as geraniums, but also the hardy geraniums, like the Johnson's blue geraniums. And Robin was so very generous, not only with a lifetime of knowledge about this particular plant family, but also with her book. She was giving away five copies of this book, The Plant Lover's Guide to Hardy Geraniums, to listeners of the show. And winners of this book include Lisa McKendrick, Marilee Karwaski, Mary Ahern, Vicki Buffalo, and Susan Scholler McKenna. So congratulations, you guys. I will put a post on our Facebook page in our listener community. And if you want to just private message me with your contact information, I'll go ahead and get your names to Robin, and she will send you a copy of The Plant Lover's Guide to Hardy Geraniums. So congratulations, everyone. You know, the Facebook group is also where I curate content for listeners of the show in between episodes. So it's kind of a way for us to stay in touch and for me to share things with you that I think you would find interesting. Some of the things that I shared this week include a great article that was in Mind Body and green right before the holidays. And it was seven herbal formulations to clear your life of negative energy. And of course, it starts out with some of these herbs that you can use in your house as you're putting away your holiday items and then doing your cleanup after the holidays in January and February. Another fun article that caught my attention was all about the New York Met. And this was an article that was by Caleb Leach, who is the managing horticulturist at the Cloisters Museum and Gardens. And we had the opportunity to see the Cloisters when we were in New York, and it is absolutely gorgeous. But through January 9th, the entryways, the Cloisters, the halls of the Met are decked out with evergreens. And it's a custom that's in keeping with medieval and Cloisters traditions. So what they did in this wonderful article is outlined all of the ways that they use greens and how they put these greens together throughout all of these different venues. And it's just tremendous. Very, very inspiring. I loved this article. It's called The Green of Winter. Along with this is an ingenious article of 20 gorgeous winter fruit ideas 
for decorating a wedding. And this was by Jordan Stroll on the website Brit and Company. And it started out with something so adorable, and that was a pomegranate. And it just showed a simple pomegranate that was at each place setting. And on the pomegranate, they had written in gold Sharpie the name of each guest. So it was absolutely stunning. And this is just an inkling of some of the wonderful ideas, the 20 different ideas they had for using winter fruit and incorporating it into your wedding decor. So if you're hosting a party, not necessarily a wedding, and you want some really cool ideas for how to incorporate winter fruits, this article was amazing. You know, last year in 2016, I got to interview Eric Sandroot of Mighty Axe Hops. And then later that year, I took my kids to see his original farm place where he started growing hops on his grandparents' farm. So my kids got to see these hops vines and how they grow on this farm. And it was just a wonderful experience. And one of the things that we talked about during our interview is how the craft beer boom is really helping hops growers. It's really what's driving that business. And so Eric is busy putting together his brand new facility that's going to be opening up this spring. And along with that, I stumbled on an article in the middle of December on NPR that was all about Spanish hops growers and how they're experiencing a similar boom thanks to craft beers. That was a really interesting article. And of course, it talks about their hops facilities and how they produce hops in northern Spain. So if you're a hops grower or you're giving it a go, check this article out. I think you'll enjoy it. There was an adorable article that Frau Zinni, my dear friend Jen McGinnis, had posted and shared on her Facebook group. And when I read it, I was thinking about this photographer, Steve Slocum, that I had talked about at the beginning of last week's episode, because Steve takes pictures of wildflowers, and he does it in such a way that you feel like you're in Alice in Wonderland, like you've shrunk down and the flowers are huge, and there you are, you're, you're among all of these enormous, beautiful wildflowers. Well, kind of along those same lines, there is a woman who is making tiny birdhouses for birds. And the woman that's doing it is named Jada Finch. And she creates these amazing little houses for birds. And she decorates them as if they were little dollhouses. So they're very elaborate, very luxurious. They're not up the entire time. She actually only puts them up for a little bit and then takes them down so they don't get wrecked. But she's got really cool videos showing what happens when the birds go inside these houses and how she puts them together. So you've got to check this article out. It's just really, really cool. And I love the ingenuity of people when it comes to building birdhouses. This is definitely a 10 on the creative scale. Well, the Dallas News put together its list for six gorgeous new gardening books that will inspire you in 2017. And this was written by Mariana Green. And the first book on the list is The Gardenista Book, The Definitive Guide to Stylish Outdoor Spaces. This was on my list as well, and I got it for Christmas, so I'm really thrilled to get a chance to take a look at it. The second book is Gardening with Chickens, Plans and Plants for You and Your Hands, 
an adorable book. I haven't read it. I've seen it in a number of different other lists, so this is definitely on the list. There's a new one by Shauna Coronado that I've seen her posting about on Facebook, and it's her book called 101 Organic Gardening Hacks, Eco-Friendly Solutions to Improve Any Garden. And of course, I love shortcuts and hacks, so this book is right up my alley. Then there's In Bloom, Creating and Living with Flowers. In Bloom is all about creative types whose work revolves around flowers. And then the last two are Flower House Detroit by Heather Saunders. Flower House is a 17-room house in Detroit that was transformed into a botanical fantasy and open to the public for three days in October 2015. Detroit floral designer Lisa Wad conceived the idea. She bought a duplex that had been auctioned for $250, and then she organized florists, suppliers, craftspeople, and event organizers, and hired Reclaim Detroit, a nonprofit that deconstructs rather than demolishes buildings that can't be rehabbed. And enlisting Reclaim Detroit and stipulating that only American-grown materials could be used— Saunders' hardcover book, published last month on Michigan-made paper produced completely with hydroelectric energy, follows Flower House from its first day to its last. And in this article, Mariana describes it by saying, If a reader does not already know about Flower House 2015, she will not be able to imagine it. Flowers are not arranged in traditional ways. They are braided into garlands, affixed to walls, piled in corners, dripping down stairways, sprouting out of cracks, and cascading from cornices. Botanicals serve as upholstery and curtains. Flower House was a concept that is inconceivable to most of us. You have to see it to believe it. And as ephemeral as it was, this book is all that's left. So check that out. If you ever see it, you'll definitely want to get Flower House Detroit. And then the last book on the list was Foraged Flora by Louisa Roebuck and Sarah Lonsdale. Floral installations are super trendy. This book is a how-to for your own floral arrangements. Most of us don't have access to all of the wonderful things that floral designers use. But the ideas and the stunning photography will be great inspiration for you. The book is thought-provoking and filled with wonderful ideas. The last post that I shared was a garden visit. It was featured on Gardenista, and it's the garden visit to Juniper Hill Farm in New Hampshire. This post was shared on Gardenista, and it's all about garden photographer Joseph Valentine and his wife, Paula, and their purchase of Juniper Hill Farm in 1999, and how they have created a quintessentially New England garden that looks as beautiful under a blanket of snow as it does in its full summer glory. It's a great article. I so enjoyed reading this. For anyone looking for inspiration to make a beautiful winter garden, this article should prove to be very inspiring for you. The recipes that get shared in the Facebook group this week include honey roasted parsnips from BBC Good Food, uh, five pastry chefs on how they doctor up boxed brownie mix. That's been a really fun one. And finally, something from the Barefoot Contessa, Ina Garten's skillet roasted lemon chicken. It's one of her most popular recipes. And of course, I always associate January with lemons. Well, today's show features blogger Megan Phelps of the blog 
Seeds, Mulch, and Weeds. And her blog is all about notes and photos from her garden in Northeast Kansas, starting in the spring of 2013. She calls it Seeds, Mulch, and Weeds because those are the three topics that she seems to spend a great deal of time in her garden thinking about. I loved talking to Megan, and I think of her as a fellow experimental gardener. Hi there, Megan. I was so excited to talk to you today. I listened to your interview on the Back to My Garden podcast, and you were such a fascinating guest, and I knew that I wanted to chat with you. Tell us about yourself and where you garden in Northeast Kansas. Well, I live in Lawrence, Kansas, and I have a house here and a pretty big garden for trees. I am married, and uh, we have two cats who hopefully will be quiet during this interview, but it's possible that they might want to jump in and say hello. Um, so, yeah, I uh, am pretty busy right now with, with uh, August gardening, and it's extraordinarily hot <laughs> in Kansas. Yes, I can imagine. Doing a lot of watering at the moment. I bet you are. Have you had a lot of rain down there? It hasn't, it hasn't been bad. It's really been very often on this year. Um, we've had very, very wet periods followed by very, very dry and hot periods and temperatures in the 90s and up to 100. So it's been a really challenging gardening year. Wow. Well, Megan, there are three words that are a big part of your background, and that's Mother Earth News. I was so surprised that you have been an editor there from 2002 to 2012, and you're currently a freelance writer there as well. What's it like working with Mother Earth News? I I really enjoyed working there. Um, I was there for 10 years. Um, I am currently doing a lot of freelance work with Mother Earth Living, which is run by the same company. Um, out of the same offices, and um, it's interesting. One one reason I don't talk um, particularly about Mother Earth News on my blog is because while I was there, I was the renewable energy editor. Okay. Um, so it's kind of funny. It was, you know, it's a, a big gardening magazine. Um, it's been one of the best sources on organic gardening since the 70s. Yeah. And while I was there, I learned a lot about organic gardening. But um, it's not actually uh, what I specialize in, so... Because of that, um, I learned a lot, but I wasn't doing, you know, really any writing about it at the time. And what's what's kind of funny is that I've been doing more garden writing since I left. Um, I have done some of that for Mother Earth Living, so I actually have an article coming out in their next issue, and it's it's uh, like Mother Earth News, but it's a little bit more of a of a lifestyle magazine. They focus more on food and health. Awesome. Um, so I have an article coming out in in the September-October issue called Growing Leafy Greens Year-Round. And I've also written quite a number of um, health articles for them. So uh, a lot of things related to toxic chemicals, um, sometimes a little more plant-based stuff. I've written about herbs and food. Um, but yeah, I uh, freelance writing uh, has become a pretty big part of my life, and writing in magazines in general um, definitely are. But the topics have been wider than you would guess from looking at my blog. That's fascinating. You know, I've got a couple of questions that come to mind as you're talking about this. First, you said that when you were the editor, you were kind of out of your primary focus area. What is that focus area for you? 
Well, you know, while I was there, um, so I was um, a senior associate editor when I left, and you do all all kinds of things there. And it's, I mean, it really is an interesting magazine. I I learned so much about so many different topics. You know, while I was there, I learned a lot about sustainable living in general. But after I left, I started thinking more about what really interested me. Um, I had a lot of my own time um, to kind of think about which parts of this are most important to me. And um, there are definitely still things about energy that I'm interested in, trying to make my home, you know, super energy efficient. But just in terms of what I wanted to do at home that was related to sustainable living, I realized I really like gardening. I like gardening a lot. And shortly after I started um, planting a much bigger garden, I also took up photography which you can kind of imagine how that snowballed yes. <laughs> because I, uh, I really, uh, I really love photography. I feel like I've come to both of these things a little bit later than most people do. Um, I wasn't one of those people who grew up with a camera, um, in my hand and, you know, we had a backyard garden when I was younger, but it wasn't something that I was, you know, ever spending a lot of time doing. I wouldn't have said I had a green gum. Um, probably not until I was in my mid twenties that I, really get interested in plants at all. And um, into my 30s before I started uh, getting into photography. So as obsessive as I am about those things now, it's, I think, a little bit of a surprise. That's great. Now, you know, one of the things that you mentioned was your article that's coming out in September, October, and it's growing leafy greens year-round. Do you do uh-huh. that? Are you a year-round vegetable gardener? I'm trying so hard to get there. You are. <laughs> I really, I really am. I have, have this year I, has been all about kale for me in the garden. And uh, actually, that's really reflected in that article. Yeah, I mean, it's almost a cliche at this point. You know, everyone loves kale. Any place you go with, with uh, a healthy menu, you're going to be eating kale. But in the garden, it really is an amazing crop. And it, it was shocking to me to realize that not only is it one of the things that, that ever winters, but that it also does really well in the summer. You know, I've kind of played around with cold friends a little bit, um, trying to extend my season. Our weather here is just so unpredictable, and, and maybe you get this too, um, although being a little bit farther north, um, maybe not so much. But in Kansas, sometimes we get really warm winters. So I have to say that when I started, you know, thinking about year-round gardening, it almost started by accident. Hmm. Um, you start thinking about, like, oh, well, what time of year are things really going to stop growing? What time are we going to get the killing frost and suddenly everything's dead. Um, for for us here, sometimes we get tomatoes into November, which always feels a little odd. <laughs> like, wait a second, are this done by now? Wow. Um, but I planted radishes last year, daikon radishes, and we're still harvesting them in December, which oh was crazy. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that is crazy. And then we got a warm spell right around Christmas, and it was like, you know, this sounds crazy. But I think I'm going to go ahead and start a cold frame. Like, it should really be too early for that. I shouldn't even be able to start a cold frame for another month, but why not? You know, we'll yes. just try it and see what happens. So I uh, really last year gardened pretty much without a break, and it was great. I really liked it. But because I, at that point, um, was getting pretty excited about all kinds of greens and how cold hardy they are, I planted a bunch of them. And so hopefully everything, you know, survives the summer um, the kale is still hanging, hanging on, which is amazing to me. The same plants that I put in in December grew. <laughs> wow. Are still going. That's great. Are still harvestable. Um, 
And I'm hoping that they go, you know, on through fall. I keep planning more kale, too. So I think kale alone could make me a four-season partner. Okay, so you're doing a lot of succession planning of kale. I am. Are you yeah. doing other greens? Are you doing things like arugula or mosh? Yes, I think I do. Um, I'm, at this point, I feel like I'm doing just about all of them. Really? <laughs> wow. And when it yeah, comes to cold I'm frames, gonna... are you building your own cold frame? Yeah, I uh, actually, there are a couple of pictures on my blog, which are probably funny to look at. Um one of the things that I, I do in my spare time is I volunteer at a Habitat Restore. And I don't know if you're familiar with those, but it's it's kind of like a, um, a thrift store for building supplies. Oh. Which I got into because, you know, I, I had worked on other news. I was really interested in sustainable living, green building, renewable energy, that kind of thing. So yes. it all it all kind of flowed from that. Um and I thought, well, you know, I'm, I'm, um, I kind of like to get to be a little bit more handy around the house. And uh, anyway, it seemed like a good idea to go there and, you know, hang around building materials and people who knew what they were doing. And as it turns out, if you volunteer there, you you uh, also kind of get to see everything as it, as it comes in. Um, so I have started picking up all sorts of odd objects. And because of that, I have a couple of different cold frames that are made from really funky materials. So one of them, I'm not sure if you can picture this without seeing the blog, but you know the old wooden light fixtures that go around fluorescent lights? Yep, they're I just like found it. Boxes. I'm looking at it right now. I see yeah. it. Yeah, so those are actually about the right size for a cold frame. So this because is I'm a box? Very so this is an old box that used to be like a light frame? Yeah. Like up in a kitchen uh-huh. or something? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and it's it's like it comes with dividers because it's divided into, into four squares already. And it was like there was no need for hammering oh, or gluing clever. or anything. I just I put it up on bricks so it wasn't touching the ground and there was a little bit of, of uh, room for airflow underneath because with cold frames, you know, more people will tell you that you have to worry more about them overheating um, than about them not being warm enough. So okay. ideally you'd have um, room for circulation at the top, but it seemed to work pretty well. I was happy it. <laughs> the first go around, I just kept pulling things out of the garage. I also have an awful lot of old screens, <laughs> um, which uh, I was trying to make a solar food dryer, but that was less successful. <laughs> I may have to try okay. that again this year. But um, but I had a bunch of old screens, and so I just put those over the top. And that, that worked fine, but it was a little bit hard to get into. And a friend of mine suggested, like, you know, actually a shower curtain would probably work pretty well for that. So um, that's why I ended up with... What I ended up with, um, I just went to the hardware store and bought a pretty heavy-duty clear shower curtain and put it over the old light box thing, and it was a great cold frame. It looks like you um, attached that shower curtain with um, chip clips. I did. (laughs) (laughs) I did, and I had an old tomato steak that I used to kind of double it over itself and then attach with the clips so it was easier to pick up. I like that. Yeah, it's... Well, you know, definitely one of those. Let's just see what's in the garage and and see what we can come up with. Yeah. I actually ended up with a second cold frame, you know, trying to go the more traditional route. Just I was curious how these things are put together and what might work well. I picked up some shelves at the restore again and a window frame and put those together. And that did actually involve a little bit of hammering. But really, I've been just as happy with the one that was the old light fixture. Really? It worked just as well. It was cheaper to put together. 
Because by the time you buy the hardware for those things yes, and a window, if yep. you're paying full price. Yep. But yeah, there are definitely lots of ways that you can do kind of DIY cold frames in your garden. And I've, I've definitely been encouraged to try all sorts of, of other things. I uh, have tried the um, solar food dryer. Of course, there are lots of old plans for those things, too, on Mother Earth News. Of course. So yeah, well, Mother Earth News, my God, absolutely. You're at yeah. the right spot, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Wow. And uh, I'm trying to rig up something that would make it a little bit more easy to um, space plants. I don't know. I've got a friend who's trying to help me with that at the moment. I picked up some old metal shelving, and I'm trying to put together something with screws. If I ever get that figured out, or if my friend Linda is able to figure it out, I'll post something on the blog. All right, I'll keep because my eyes Because that's something that I, I really struggle with, is trying to feed evenly. I get a little bit over-enthusiastic, and I space plants closely together and then have to thin way okay. too much. Okay. Hey, have you heard of a dibber by any chance? No, what's that? So a dibber, like imagine a piece of wood that's got like, um, oh, I don't know, evenly spaced dowels all the way down. No, I I was looking online and I think I must have seen pictures of that. I just didn't know the name. Yeah, I didn't know the name either. So believe me, you're not alone. I just found out the name because I was interviewing someone. Uh, It's in an upcoming show. Yeah. (laughs) And somebody had made the coolest dibber. They had taken a. Um, a board, and then a t- and then spaced dowels all along this. Like, imagine if we had a board that was oh, I don't know, two feet by yeah. three feet or something. And you've got these yeah. dowels that are attached, and then you just drop it into the ground. And wherever the dowels dig into the earth, that's where you put your seed. And I love it. And she made it so yeah, cool I too think that's because a great idea. yeah, she took a belt and she made straps on the dibber. I mean, it was just uh, it was uh-huh. over the top DIY. It was fantastic. So. I want one. I'm like you. It's like I want one of those things. So I'm. I'm a terrible. But I don't want to pay too much for it. So I no, was kind of you got to make it. I could keep yes. something together. So. Yeah, you got to go to that store. Yeah, you got to go to that surplus store and and go get something yeah. and uh, fashion it together somehow. Well, you're yeah. a University of Kansas girl. So I mean, you really are a girl, a daughter of the Midwest, just like me. And you hold a BA in English and Environmental Studies and a master's in journalism, both from the University of Kansas. So you're very educated. And your longtime position at Mother Earth News, I think, propped you up to go back to a new job at your alma mater because Mm -hmm. you are working at the University of Kansas and you work in the Center of East Asian Studies. And one of the aspects of your job is to work with social media. So I'm very curious, what are your thoughts on social media? Because you work with it in your day job, but you also use it as a blogger. And that's how I found you, because you're on social media with your blog. I really love social media. And I was kind of one of the, I feel like I got kind of a late start with it. Like I didn't, I was one of those people who refused to sign up for Facebook. Ah. Um, I held out absolutely as long as possible and then realized that, you know, okay, everybody I communicate with is on Facebook. <laughs> There's no way I can get around it. Um, but the more I got into it, the more I liked it. And I, I do, um, it's true, I do social media for work now. Um, and I like Facebook. I have gotten to um, really enjoy how useful it is. Um, and even more than that, I really like Twitter. I like it for work. I also like it for gardening just socializing with other gardeners. I feel like 
I'm more connected to other gardeners through Twitter than through anything else. And I spend an awful lot of time online looking at pictures of plants. Um, But just thinking about how I use it for work, um, it's true. It's nice nice for anything that's really event-based. So, you know, I do a lot of work um, with students and with faculty and uh, social media is a great way to let them know about particular classes that are being offered, um, about different cultural events that are going on. Everybody seems to be using Facebook more than email these days. So, I mean, we do we do all of it. We do old-fashioned flyers and post them in the hallway. But it's gotten to the point where if you want people to come to your events, you have to post the flyer online. And more than that, you have to do a Facebook event and send it out to people that way. So yes. it's, it's been kind of an adjustment, but I... Uh, I really enjoy it, and it has been interesting how many different ways I feel like I use social media. Um, I have multiple Twitter accounts. I have multiple Facebook pages where I'm a contributor. Um, (laughs) Sometimes it gets a little hard to manage all those various passwords, and I'm still waiting for the day, actually, where I accidentally tweet about East Asia on my gardening page. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Or vice versa. Or vice versa. <laughs> that would be terribly controversial. Just maybe a little confusing. That's right. But, well, on your Twitter page, yeah. is that um, on your cover photo? Is that figs? Let's see. What are those? Those are keys. Um, those so are I was I was uh, playing with the idea of you know my blog's name is Seeds, Mulch, and Weeds, and so in my uh, you know banners or icons, I tend to post either seeds or weeds. Mulch I find is not very photogenic, <laughs> unfortunately. So. I see. Um, fewer pictures of mulch, but yeah, those are PCs. Well, I, I take a lot of photos, and then I get excited about them and want to share them. Um, but I also, I I just really like seeing what other people are up to online. And I have to say, I probably um, interact more with people through Twitter than I do by going to individual people's blogs. Oh, you, you do? Know, like, there, there are a ton of bloggers on Twitter. So what I'll do is I have my um, group of gardeners that I follow, and then I'll just look to see what they've, they've tweeted about, and we'll go and find new blog posts from there, you know, oh, and go to people's sites, but um, almost always through Twitter. There's so many gardeners on Twitter. Yes. Do you follow Bryn Haas with Garden Chat? Yes. I do. Yeah. Have you participated in Garden Chat? I have not. It's on my to-do. I'm going to do it. I met Bryn at the Garden Bloggers uh, Conference yeah. here in the Twin Cities, and I, I sat beside her, and I'm like, Bryn, I've got to do this. So it's on my bucket list for it's 2016. Fun. It's been a while since I've, I've uh sat in on one of those, but it's chaos. <laughs> she does a great it's, job with it, though. She's terrific. Um it's uh, it's really interesting, and and really that's that's how I've connected with a lot of gardeners on Twitter is by following other people who do garden chat or, you know, checking to see who's answered questions and oh that's um, great. Lots of very active gardeners um, taking part in that, and that's a great way to to find out who else is on Twitter talking about gardening. Um, but when you actually participate in the live chat, it's just it happens so fast. It's really fun, but definitely not something I. I, I felt like, I, I think this is more, you know, an every so often thing for me, not something that I, I'm going to be in every single one because it's just a little overwhelming. The amount of information flows out. So uh, you end up hitting refresh a lot. Okay. <laughs> but 
there are questions that go out, and it's been a while since I've done this, but I assume the sunlight is still pretty much the same, but there will be a question, one, you know, what are you growing this year? Usually something a little bit more specific, and then everybody starts answering it and then replying to each other. So you get all of these really long, threaded conversations of people talking on the same topic. Um, which which is pretty cool, but it's almost like you just have to go through, you you know, you keep hitting refresh because otherwise you've missed things that people are saying. Sure. Um, and it's almost like you just have to go back and look at it later. <laughs> because if you get on a sidetrack of the conversation, you just kind of get lost. It's like this wave rushing over you. It's, it's a lot of fun. It really is. Actually, there are a lot of other ones. Have you seen some of those? There's like no, round chat. Yeah, I think there's... I think there's one almost every day of the week. Some of them are bigger than others. There's seed chat. And, of course, you have to find one that fits your schedule if you're going to do live chatting. It's definitely a thing that a lot of gardeners are doing. One thing that I have to say is that just um, in terms of social media, I found that I'm in different time zones from a lot of people that I interact with. Uh, There are a lot of British gardeners out there. So, like, when I do garden chat, it's a whole different crowd than some of the other people I follow because the time difference is just too much. You don't get a lot of people in the U.K. who are doing U.S. garden chat. But if I'm just going to get online and talk to people or, you know, say, hey, I like that picture of peppers or whatever. Or, you know, that's that's cool. What is that? Um, It's it's really uh, frequently people um, from other countries. And because I only speak English. I tend to only follow uh, Twitter in English, but, uh, you know, people who are who are tweeting in English. But um, certainly if you were willing to or spoke Spanish, Dutch, French, <laughs> yes. whatever you could think of, um, at, you know, on some level, pictures of plants, uh, you don't you don't necessarily have to speak the language. So there are actually a couple of people I follow. There's, there's one in the Netherlands. Um, oh. I think there are a couple in France. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Well, your background really lends itself nicely to blogging. I mean, being an editor, doing the photography, uh, understanding social media. But many people have similar backgrounds to you, and they don't get into blogging. So I'm so curious, how did you get started blogging? Well, I actually started blogging about renewable energy. So I was working at Mother of News, and, you know, while I was there, blogging became much more popular than when I first started. So um, I was looking for, you know, we were all blogging. I was looking for renewable energy energy topics to write about. And I did that for a long time. Actually, a lot of those are, are still online, um, I'm pretty sure, although because they're about technology, they would go out of date pretty quickly. <laughs> I realized how hard it was. You know, that I enjoyed blogging, but there are some topics that are a lot easier to blog about than others. Yes. So, you know, in some ways I would compare it to, you know, when I was in high school, I did track and cross country and did a lot of running and it was just so much work. (laughs) But now things like walking and gardening, it still feels like work, but it's not nearly that bad. So it's much easier. I feel like garden blogging is so much easier to do than blogging about technology because it's so photo driven. It's really um, something that it's simple to do. And so it just, it felt like, oh, well, there's no reason I can't go out and, and blog about what I'm growing in my garden. It's so much easier than researching a whole new technology and writing about it and trying to make sure that everything's technically accurate. With gardening, that's just all so much simpler, which is why I think there are so many people who do garden blogs and not nearly as many technology blogs as you know, 
as yes. there would otherwise be. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I so I got started blogging for work and discovered that I liked it, but um, that the subject matter I was most interested in and that was easiest for me to write about was just what was going on in my own garden. When I realized that, I thought, well, why not go ahead and start a blog and we'll see where this goes and, you know, just see how long I like doing it. And I like doing it enough that I really haven't paused much ever since I started. The first year, I think I, I kind of did a sign-off in the fall um, when we got a, a heavy frost and said, well, I'll be back in the spring. But then you know how it is, like in winter, you're looking for things to do and you're starting to think about what seeds you want for next year. You actually have more time to write than you otherwise would yep. um, when you're out busy working in the garden. So um, the next year I kind of kept going a little bit more through the winter and now I feel like I'm probably not ever really stopping. There are always things that I want to write about. But I do a lot of it for myself. I enjoy uh, talking about plants with other people, and it's fun to share about photography, and I like it when people respond or get excited about something that I'm growing. But I also really love having it as a record of what I've grown in past years. So That's in some ways, it's like keeping a journal. That's it, exactly it right. It makes it a lot simpler uh, to remember what I grew in previous years. I find myself referring back to it a lot. Yeah, so isn't it crazy how quickly how quickly we forget? I mean, we're out there every it single really day. Is. Yeah, and then not a month yeah. later. I mean, the minute the snow is covering my garden, it's like it's all like yeah. the slate has been wiped clean. I can't remember anything that was out there, and then I get so frustrated with myself in the spring because I'm out in the garden and things are coming yeah. up, and it's like a slow recall. It reminds me of right. you know if you speak a foreign language, um, like I speak right. German, and then uh, a couple of years. Ago, my husband and I went to Germany, and the word was there, but I couldn't, you know, I, I couldn't uh, get to it. And then, as my right. language was coming back, I mean, a word would come flying out of my mouth. And if you'd have given right. me a multiple choice quiz like ten minutes earlier, I would have failed. But all of a sudden, that word was there, and it's the same thing in right. the garden. It's it's absolutely yeah. crazy. But I do agree with you. The the blog is an excellent. Um, journal of your garden and it is so refreshing to go back and read it especially you know I get a lot of energy uh, from being in my garden I don't think I could write if I was separated from my garden so there are days when I when I know I need to write something and nothing is coming so I just get the heck out of the house and I go to my garden if it's summer if it's not summer I go to a nursery and I walk through the nursery and then the ideas start to come but you've got to be with your subject matter or at least I do. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. I had a stretch this summer where I was out of town and I was trying to decide what I wanted to do because I had a lot of things I thought I wanted to write about. But it's like, okay, well, by the time I get back, all of this is going to be, you know, plants are going to be in different stages. Like if I don't write about what's happening with the tomatoes now, I never will. Yes. Um, but it's weird to write from the road. So I ended up uh, preloading a bunch of pictures, and then posting them actually while I was on vacation, oh. um, which worked better than I thought it would. It felt weird writing about my garden and not being in it. I know what you mean, but it was like I kind of had things that were pretty much ready to go or that were true all the time. Like when I wrote about keeping bees, I was actually on the road, but the bees are always pretty much doing the same thing in the summer, so I was like, well, that'll be fine. 
That's exactly I don't right. think anything dramatic has happened in the last few days. You yeah. know, everything that I'm writing now will still be true when I get back, hopefully. Yeah, that's right. Well, one of the things that I admire about your blog and about so many blogs is a very clever blog title. And I loved yours. It's Seeds, Mulch, and Weeds. How did you come up Thank with the you. title for your blog? Well, I think like everybody else with blogs and websites, you start by just looking for what's available, right? You have like <laughs> a short list like, oh, this would probably work. And I don't remember what I started with, but at some point you just start typing in different words. Yeah. Um, and I realized as I was looking that seeds and weeds rhyme. Yeah. <laughs> like, Aha. <laughs> well, that's catchy. <laughs> I like that. Um, but at the time I was really fairly obsessed with root stout and the root stout system. Do you know who she was or yes. anything about that? Yes, but give yeah. an introduction for, for someone who might not know. Sure. Um, she wrote a couple of books. I think I think one of them was called Gardening Without Work. But her uh, system was you use heavy mulch, lots and lots of... Uh, she used spoiled hay. Uh, she said, you know, use whatever you have available. So it was one of the first gardening books I read. It was either Gardening Without Work or something like How to Have a Green Thumb Without Me Taking Back. Um, she definitely caught my attention because I have to say I'm a little bit of a lazy gardener. So I uh, started out using really, really heavy mulch in my garden. I've gotten a little bit away from that, but at the time I started the blog, it was still definitely something I was doing a lot of. So I thought, well, you know, everybody deals with seeds, everybody deals with weeds, but if I'm coming up for a title, something that I'm doing that's a little bit different, but I should probably acknowledge is I'm using lots and lots of mulch. So, okay. Uh, that's that's how that happened, and because not many other people were writing about mulch, that website and Twitter handle and <laughs> everything else were available. So. so you were ready to go. So I was ready to go. So that's you, how that that's how that happened. So you didn't um, go with rhubarb rosy. You did seeds, mulch, and weeds. Sometimes I kind of wonder, like, ooh, what else might I have picked, <laughs> and would it affect what I write? Um, right. But I feel like it's a general enough title that it still sort of applies. Well, there you go. I would say it's kind of funny having weed in the title. I get a lot of people following me on Twitter who are talking about other sorts of weed, and it's like, do you really not, like, you're not actually reading my, my tweets, right? <laughs> yeah, like the types of weeds, weeds I'm talking about are definitely dandelions. Um, <laughs> none of this. <laughs> there are a lot of other people on uh, Twitter talking about different sorts of weeds. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they end up following me, and I assume they must unfollow me pretty quickly. But and then you're like, oh, I'm letting them down, the pressure, the pressure. <laughs> <laughs> My icon's a dandelion. Isn't it obvious? Yeah. Thanks. Yes. Well, you know what? So, yeah. listen, we've got to talk about this, because the other thing oh, that sure. caught my eye is your profile yeah. pic. You know, it's hard to find a picture of you online, by the way, because everything you do is the this very simple profile picture of something that yeah. most gardeners would not post as their I'm profile picture. Well, and here you go, yeah. and your profile picture online, your profile pic is a simple picture of a single dandelion. How yeah. did that image become the identifier for your presence online? Okay, so when I, I chose the title, Seeds, Mulch, and Weeds, and then I kind of try and stick to that a little bit thematically, at least with pictures for um, my website, header, and that sort of thing, um, profile text, sure. I, uh, I thought, well, you know, the weed that everybody thinks of is, is a dandelion. Um, and also, 
one of the things I do that that is like you know a little bit eyebrow raising is I do actually plant dandelions in my garden. Okay. Um, okay. Hang on. Hang on. Stop. <laughs> right. Stop right there. What are you doing, and why are you doing that? Well, it's it's <laughs> not as unusual as you might think. You know, you can actually order dandelion seeds from seed companies. I uh, I ordered the ones that I planted. They were supposed to be a slightly different variety than just your you know regular um, yard oh weed. <laughs> the super dandelion. What were they? <laughs> Oh, uh, I would have to look it up. It's right. from um, um, Baker Creek. Uh, really? Um, heirloom seeds. Yeah, they offer a particular kind of, of dandelion that I don't know. Um, I'm not really sure if it's, <laughs> if it's that much different than what you what you find in your yard. But I have to say that I've been really happy with it. And the reason is that we talked about this a little bit before, but I like growing all kinds of greens. And yes. I like the idea of year-round gardening. And uh, dandelion grains are one of the earliest things that comes up. Yes. Um, so, and they're incredibly nutritious. And if you get into cooking and eating greens, definitely they're a high-quality vegetable. Uh, and they're, you know, and they're kind of pretty. I like, I like the flowers. So um, they're sort of decorative in the garden, too, uh, which is good. But one thing that's nice is if you actually bother to plant them rather than just having them, you know, in your yard and harvesting them as they come up, uh, is that you can get a pretty good concentration. Where I don't know if you've ever... Okay, this is going to also sound a little weird, but I don't know if you've ever <laughs> tried to pick a whole lot of dandelions. <laughs> like pick them? But in nature, their space kind of far apart. Well, my husband's a home brewer, and we tried to collect a whole bunch of them for uh, dandelion wine at one point. Okay. It's actually very inconvenient to try and pick dandelions because they're blood of the ground, so you kind of want to sit down, but the, the clusters of them are fairly far apart. So whether you're picking the, the leaves or, or the flowers, same problem. Um, if you just find them in nature, they're out there, but they're, you know, they're at regular intervals, right? Like yes. you really have to do a lot of work walking around. And again, I'm sort of a lazy gardener, so having all of the dandelion leaves in one place where I can just sit down and pick them um, actually ended up working pretty well. And it looks sort of pretty in the garden, too, because when they bloom, they're all, again, they're close together. It doesn't look like weeds in your lawn it looks like an intentional planting so it looks like um, a crop it looks like a crop yeah it really it Mm -hmm. it does um i planted a few other other weeds um in my garden too and burdock is one of those that's uh you know versions of it are thought of as a weed although there are also um, people who plant it um, to eat amaranth is another one um but dandelions really struck me as being kind of a fun thing to choose as an icon because there are a lot of people who know that, hey, this is a terrific, a terrific vegetable to grow in your garden, um, and that it would be, you know, especially with the name uh, seeds, mulch, and weeds, it would be a fun weed to refer to sure. um, and kind of make my, my symbol. Well, so and I think um, it's such a happy, it is yeah. a very happy flower. It's in the Asteraceae family, yeah, of they're course. Cheerful. They're very, very cheerful. I mean, I think yeah. every every kid can remember, say, you know, picking dandelions for mom, right? You're probably right. one of the first yeah, flowers. Too. So when I see it, I, it's very happy, but I, and it thematically, it completely goes with your uh, block title. So it made complete sense. And then I just, I started to get more and more curious as I was researching uh-huh. you, you know, for the show today. 
today. And so I thought I've got to ask her why the dandelion. Yeah. 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 Well, it is, it is a symbol of some of the many weird things that I grow, <laughs> among other things. <laughs> well, I have but never it, talked to somebody who's grown a crop of dandelions. So yes, I will forever I'm remember sure you for that, Megan. I'm sure there are others out there that I'm just sure haven't, haven't wanted to tell you. Oh, they're going to come <laughs> out of the woodwork now. They're going to come out of the woodwork. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're doing a crop of dandelions, do you let them go to seed? You cannot let them go to seed, do you? I do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, what does it hurt, really? <laughs> well, yes, that's right. Well, and if you're growing them, you must like them. So, but if they just if they plant themselves somewhere else in your garden, you're just digging them up. I'm assuming. I have really understanding neighbors. <laughs> you don't. <laughs> Gosh. Uh, which is which is fortunate, but yeah, if they plant themselves somewhere else in my garden, it's um, it's kind of like how you would find it in nature, where they're pretty well spread out. Like you're not yeah. going to get a big stand of them unless right. you intentionally leave them. Yeah. And then even if you do, I I have lots of weeds in my garden. The the uh, volunteer tomatoes alone are far more of a problem than the and the volunteer dandelions. Oh, touche. Well, and I love the part where you say you have understanding neighbors. I'm like, well, you have understanding neighbors because your husband's a home brewer. <laughs> well, that probably doesn't hurt. <laughs> that they doesn't actually hurt. have been really nice about the bees, too. Um, we did have to start talking to our, our neighbors before we, we put in bees. It's um, uh, a loud look. Uh, so our um, Lawrence uh, has an urban farming ordinance or whatever it is. Um, that allows beekeeping and uh, chickens, actually. We don't have chickens, but okay. we are allowed to have city chickens because we are right in the middle you know, of the city. Um, and uh, it's good to know that we have the stamp of approval to keep bees. There are a lot of people in our neighborhood, actually, who keep chickens. Well, that's great. Yeah, up here, I would love, oh man, I would so love to have chickens. But where I'm at in Maple yeah. Grove, they don't allow it, so... Yeah, I hear what yeah, you're saying. They, uh, it's fairly it's fairly recent, but uh, no roosters, uh, just chickens. Yes, chickens. yep, yep. I would do it if I if they would allow it. I would do no roosters, just chickens, and I I know exactly mm-hmm. where I would put it, and I know exactly how I would do yeah. it, and. It's a, it's a down the road thing for me. I'll do it at some point in my life. So, um, well, let's do a little blog post review because that's one of the funnest things for me about interviewing bloggers is just to go through their blog and then ask the questions that I can't ask when I'm just reading your blog, because there's a lot of things that, you know, that are behind the scenes that led you to post what you post. And, um, I love your posts, by the way, I, I find, um, I started following you you when I asked you to uh, be on the show and you agreed. And then I, started following you and I love your posts. So for people who are looking for someone to follow, it's uh, Seeds, Mulch, and Weeds on Twitter. Great posts. Really, really helpful. So um, you just wrote a little post about your luck growing tomatoes this year. And you wrote that it's been a little mixed. Tell us about your experience with the tomatoes this year. I want to say that part of it is the weather. Um, Because it's just having alternating really damp weather and then really hot and dry weather has just been hard on a lot of different plants. Actually, the tomatoes are doing better than cucumbers. I cannot keep cucumbers alive this year. Thank it's you. Like, Me neither. Me I, neither. I planted so many and they all died before they cucumbers. So the tomatoes are doing a little bit better. Um, I uh, generally plant a lot of different kinds, but I have to say that I lean more towards uh, hybrids than heirlooms. Okay. Uh, were tomatoes, at least in my backyard. This is a little bit of a tangent, but um, I work with a uh, local art gallery 
It's oh. a community art space, okay. um, and they have container gardens. Oh. And I, I got involved with that through some friends, um, but um, I get to help um, maintain that garden every year, and it's some pretty big containers. And for those, I do heirloom tomatoes. It's great. Oh, that's great. Um, but in my backyard, tomatoes succumb to disease really quickly. And, you know, I'm sure that there are things I could do. I could probably improve the spacing, um, and that would be better. But I have heavy clay soil. It holds on to a lot of water. Um, I just, if I get heirloom tomatoes, if I start with heirloom tomatoes, um, they almost always die before they produce fruit. And I've been looking for more disease-resistant varieties. I mean, that's the main thing I've been trained to hybrids for is I like go through the seed catalogs and I look for the ones that have the most disease resistance Okay. and the ones that are resistant to everything are the only ones I plant. Um, I hope uh, my neighbors who garden also say that they have terrible problems with tomato diseases. So I think it might be our soil, our climate. I don't think it's just me. Um, but regardless, tomatoes are generally something I struggle with a little bit. Are you um, growing so above ground or what are you growing in? Um, yeah, I don't have raised beds or anything. I use a lot of organic material, but yeah, just planting in the ground. Oh, you do? Okay. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I use a lot of compost, which you would think um, would gradually improve things over time. So, you know, I, I still get a lot of, of tomatoes, but I definitely have a lot of, of plants that struggle, um, particularly with various diseases. Hmm. So cherry tomatoes are always great because they um, they always seem to do well regardless um, and are very prolific. So I try and focus on those a little bit. Yes. <laughs> but um, last year I did really well with paste tomatoes. Uh, it was a better year. And I did a lot of uh, determinate paste tomatoes. And that was really great because I'm a huge fan of salsa. And I basically uh, froze my entire uh, paste tomato crop and used it to make salsa all during the rest of the year. I finally ran out of paste tomatoes in June, so that was fantastic. Um, but this year, I think I'm going to have to get them from somebody else and freeze them to do the same thing. Well, and I saw on your post that you have these little white cherry tomatoes. They're pretty, aren't they? Aren't they pretty? I like seeing all the different kinds of cherry tomatoes together. Different colors, red, orange, yellow. Uh, I'm grow as many different kinds as I can. I think I'll plant even more next year. But uh, they look beautiful all together and I think uh, the tastes are just a little bit different and that can be kind of fun too. Some are, are more acidic and when you eat them as a blend like that it's just it's really nice. Well and they, they photograph so well. I mean the picture that they you do. took of these. They yeah they were so yeah. pretty. Oh my gosh that was yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Well you recently wrote a post about two new to you herbs in your 2016 yes. garden and that was borage yeah. and burdock. I get asked so many yeah. questions about borage. Um, what do That's you think about growing about them? I don't feel like anyone else I know talks about it. Um <laughs> Come on up here, Megan. We'll talk <laughs> to people really about borage. Yes. So popular. Yeah. I did not. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, it's another thing I really like about blogging is that it makes me process things a little bit more, and it gives me an incentive to go back and look up information. So I feel like half the time when I turn to the Internet and I'm trying to learn more about particular plants, it's, it's because I realize in the course of writing a blog post that there's a lot I don't know, so I need to actually look it up. Um, but, uh, yeah. Borage is new to me this year, and so is burdock. I just tried the borage right before I wrote that blog post. Oh. Um, I just had been enjoying the, the flowers and seeing it for pollinators, and um, it occurred to me that I hadn't actually tasted it yet. So I, 
I went outside and I tried it and I, I loved it. It's, uh, it's got that great cucumber flavor. I tried uh, one of the blossoms and then some of the leaves, too. I don't have that much of it, so it's pretty sparing. But um, I think it's an interesting-looking plant, too. Huh. Well, I see that, uh, was it your dad that had commented on your post that burdock root is an essential ingredient for three-root root beer? He did. He told me to save him some. I thought that was so funny. Um, and that was another one I didn't really expect people to have comments about. Like, who knows about... Um, about burdock. So that was funny to me. Like, oh, well, okay, I better save some. Yeah. Wow. What's it been like growing that, though? I mean, that's something I would never grow. So what's it like? Yeah. It's one I've just been learning about as I go. Um, and I was curious at what point it flowers. So, yeah. I again, I just looked this up when I was writing about it um, because I had been curious, like, oh, when is this going to flower? And, of course, it's biennial which I guess I probably should have known before I planted it. <laughs> but um, I'm growing it for the roots, so I'll harvest it in the fall. But if I let it go, um, it would produce uh, really tall flower stalks. Um, and I'm kind of curious. I have to say, I uh, am thinking about letting one or two of them go. Um, of course, I also think it's supposed to be a little bit invasive, so it's probably one that I should not let go to seed. Um, <laughs> you're a daredevil you are a little it daredevil it can fight with the dandelions for space yeah <laughs> but um, I didn't realize how big the leaves were going to get it was kind of an impulse buy when I was buying seeds uh, in the in the spring and I you know I had, had seen a few pictures but hadn't gotten a sense of the scale um, so yeah those leaves are huge <laughs> yeah and that was that was a little bit of a surprise um, but uh yeah, I'm I'm really curious to see what the roots are like because um, I guess I have really heavy clay soil and root vegetables tend not to do terribly well. Uh, I keep working on the soil, keep adding more organic material. So um, I'm trying to grow decent carrots, hoping to be there one of these days. But um, I'm curious if uh, the roots on these will actually be as big as they're supposed to be for burdock or if they're going to be a little bit warped and stunted like most of my root vegetables. Mm-hmm. Um but I think if nothing else, it's probably improving the soil um, and drilling down a little bit deeper um, and, and making it better for root crops. But I'm, I'm curious if I'll get a decent crop or if, if uh, it's just going to be one that it's like, oh, it's interesting to see what the plant did. <laughs> yeah, well, I remember doing some research on burdock. This was a couple of years ago. Um, but pigs love it. Uh, pigs eat every really? part of it. Yeah, they go crazy for it. My folks are, you know, have a farming background, and that was the first thing my mom yeah. said. And so when I'm with my student gardeners, it's one of the things I share with them so that they can identify it. So if it happens to seed itself in my garden, they're pulling right. it out. I don't let it go yeah. uh, in mine. But yeah. I, it is interesting. You know, it is fascinating yeah. to, um, if you're doing something experimental like this, to see what happens mm-hmm. and to get to know it. Um, now, you've also yeah. shared some beautiful pictures pictures of your lemon squash. I just thought this was stunning. You've had Aren't some you pretty? Yeah, you've had some decent success growing this type of squash this year. It's uh-huh. very attractive. So, tell us everything about it. Where'd you get it? How long to maturity? How does it taste? Let's rock and roll on the lemon squash. I was going through seed catalogs looking for anything that was that said it was resistant to squash bugs. And honestly, I'm really not even sure how resistant this is to squash bugs, but I'm willing to try anything. Because I've tried to grow um, squash, oh, probably for the last five years now, and I get a couple, and that's it. 
um, before the squash bugs set in. Even if I, you know, like go out and hand pick the eggs off of plants, it's just, it's, uh, it's an issue I know a lot of people have, but they've, they've gotten me just about every year. So that was what attracted me to lemon squash is knowing that they were at least reported to have some sort of, of, uh, squash bug resistance. Anyway, I put those in this year and I've been really happy with them. Um, I put in, um, a couple, more than one kind of squash, and this is this is the one that's still alive. So I feel like that's good. Yeah, um, and it really does I, look I, like I a also, lemon. It really does look like a lemon, doesn't it? They're they're pretty small. It's hard to get a sense of scale from the pictures. Uh, they don't get that big. So are they smaller than an apple? That's that was my question. Are they smaller Definitely than an smaller apple? Smaller than an apple. They are. Yeah, okay. They are. Huh. Yes, it helps. Uh, all the the picture that you're looking at on the blog is um, it's a pie pan. So there are oh. two of them just in that one little corner. Okay, of okay, that definitely helps. Okay, well yeah, there you go. They're, they're little, but uh, it, they are producing lots of squash, and the plants are still alive, which is is huge, especially with heat and the bugs. Um, I did start using an insecticidal soap, um, hoping that that would help. So it's possible that that's that's one of the things that's working. Okay. Regardless, I'm just so happy to have squash. <laughs> yes. Well, I love your post. Uh, the other post that caught my eye was this one that you simply titled Bees Love Corn because you've got uh-huh. some really, really yeah. great pictures of bees working on the corn. What camera yeah. do you use for your photography? I use a really basic Canon DSLR. You do? Um, it's Yeah, it's like the... Um, I think it's the entry level model. It's the uh, Rebel SL1. Um, one thing I use that I've really found that I like a lot is I um, use a telephoto lens for almost everything. You do? Uh, with garden photography. Wow. Yeah, Where'd you get your lens? Um, it's like the Canon standard uh, telephoto kit lens, really. Okay. I mean, if there's such a thing, it's the one that everybody who has this camera has. Okay. So it's a nice camera, but there's nothing particularly special about it the equipment, but I have really been happy um, with the telephoto lens because um, I started out, you know, people talk about garden photography, and I really thought to start with that I needed a macro lens, like, oh, okay, well, you're taking close-ups, right? So you need to be able to get really close to the plants and kind of blow things up a little bit. But um, I found the telephoto is a lot more useful because, especially when taking pictures of bugs, they won't let you get that close. Yep. So if you're trying to get a good picture, it really helps to be able to stand back and then zoom in quite a bit. And then also, um, the telephoto is really useful for um, isolating your subject um, because of what it does with the depth of field. Okay. So I um, I love this camera, but yeah, it's it's funny. I used to switch lenses a lot, but now it's almost always always the telephoto lens, and definitely anything um, with bugs, it's it's helpful um, to yeah. be able to really zoom in and see what they're doing. Well, and how crazy is it, is it that these go for corn pollen? I had no idea that they did. I, I had no idea either. Corn. Well, and okay, so let's talk about these three pictures. I don't know if you have them yeah. up in front of you, but I'm looking I at do. it. Yeah. Well, first of all, the first picture is showing a bee. And uh-huh. the, apparently this telephoto lens is so fantastic because you can actually see the pollen. The pollen. Isn't on him. <laughs> and you can see how furry he is. I was taking the picture. 
Yeah. Yeah. And you actually got in this picture a still photo of his wing, which is pretty uh-huh. extraordinary as well. So, I mean, this is a great, great picture. I had um, to think about 500 to get that picture. Really? Okay. Because that's something else. And, <laughs> yeah. and don't you think that little yeah. ball of yellow stuff on his leg, that's got to be pollen, isn't it? It has to be, right. Yeah. The other thing, I don't know if you noticed, but as I was zooming in on this on my iPad Pro, I'm looking at it and I'm going, oh my Uh gosh, did you see all the little uh, other insects that are on that? Oh, I know, the ants. Is that what that is? Is it ants? (laughs) Yeah, there really are. Well, so I still am using lots of mulch. I don't use quite as much as I did when I first started, but I use a lot. And um, I keep big bags of leaf uh, of leaves from my front yard. Yeah. So I've had all these bags of, of oak leaves uh, sitting around for when I needed mulch. And it turns out that that's a really fantastic habitat for ants. Oh, it is. You can, you, <laughs> it is. Try leaves. Not something I thought about until I started trying to spread out the, the leaves on my garden as mulch. And they were, all of the bags were so full of ants. Oh. So um, uh, they've, They've died down a little bit too, but there there was a week or two right after I'd spread all this leaf mulch where there were ants on everything. Oh, you're kidding. Because um, they had been breeding in the bags of leaves. Yeah, and then for some reason it was like they just climbed straight up the corn stalks. And they go for, you know, I don't know if it's the pollen or the, or the nectar, um, one of them. But, I yeah, they, they loved it. They also, I get ants all over. Um, I grow yard-long beans. Okay. Which are have a lot of different names. Um, sometimes they're called long beans. Um, seriously, though, they have four or five other names, but they're they're like green beans. But they're, um, I mean, they really are like a foot long. Um, and I get ants on those all the time. So actually, if you look at some of the older pictures on my blog, there are tons of pictures of ants crawling all over these beans. Wow. I think what bugs do in the garden is just fascinating. Yeah, that it's is. It's one of the things that I, I really enjoy doing. And it's it's so useful, too. Um, it's another thing that I like about photography is it's so hard to hold in your mind a picture of what the bug looks like. But if you snap one, you can pull it up on your computer. You can compare and contrast. I You know, I never know exactly what I'm looking at when it's, it's out in the garden as far as different sorts of in- insects. Um, it's it's when I come back inside and pull it up on the screen and then doing Google images trying to figure out what I'm looking at. Um, it's it's uh, a nice way to do insect ID. Wow. Yeah, it is. That's a great point. Yeah, yeah. take a picture of it and then it helps you identify yeah. it. Um, these, these, I think, are actually, I was getting three different kinds of bees. Okay. Um, and I think one of these is actually a mason bee. I thought it was oh. a bumblebee until I started looking online. Hmm. Um, but I was getting... Um, Sweat bees, you would think that the honeybees that I have in my backyard would have an advantage when it comes to being the first to get pollen. But it's funny. I think they really go farther afield than just my garden. Um, I think, you know, you read about how far bees go um, in search of food. And so we really have a pretty good mix of different sorts of bees. Um, in garden insects, I don't notice honeybees all over my garden. I see probably more than anything else different kinds of bees, huh. especially sweat bees because they're really easy to spot. Yeah, and bumblebees. 
Well, I interviewed Dawn uh, Pape, and uh-huh. she wrote a children's book, uh, Mason Finds a Mason Bee, or Meets a Mason Bee. Right. Um, yeah. And she's a great resource, by the way. But she, you know, she knows all about Mason Bees. And um, yeah. I'll, I'm going to send this uh, image to her. Um, you guys can probably hook up in the listener community oh, okay. for still growing and, and chat about this. But you've got some great yeah, bee photos. Great. You know, the second, the second picture on here is showing just kind of a a shadow image, a silhouette Mm -hmm, of the tassel of corn. Yes. And then this bee with, I mean, my God, the the wings on this bee, the the wings are like Uh one and a half times the size of the body. I didn't realize. Yeah. It's crazy. And then the last one is probably my favorite because the the bee, is this upside down? Is that an upside down bee? It is. It's upside down. Um, yeah, and you know that was one I I uh, I spent some time thinking about like oh is this the one that I want to post online or not because the bee's not really in focus but I just love that you can see the pollen. The pollen is the focus yeah. of this yeah. picture and what's uh, and, descri- and to describe it to to people, um, yeah. the, there is a tassel of corn that's horizontally going across the top of this picture, and underneath the corn you see a bee that's that's clinging. So he's upside down. He's working on this tassel of corn, and of course, as he's working, the pollen is releasing and it's raining down underneath like it's just falling down around him um, down to the bottom of the picture in the lower third and it's just this rain of pollen it is just something else yeah the other thing about those pictures that always strikes me is you know i think we've all seen corn growing at least here in the midwest you know you drive drive down the highway everybody thinks they know what corn looks like but you look at some of the individual parts of this plant and i don't think most people would be able to identify this as a corn tassel no um Mm -mm. you're right it's just like you think you know what corn looks like and then when you actually it's like so many other plants when you actually start growing it yourself you learn all these new things about it that um yeah are completely unfamiliar but who who knew that corn looked like this and that bees would go for the pollen and I mean, it was like they were having a party out there. It was pretty funny. And yeah. that's why I was able to get so many pictures. They didn't care what I was doing. They let me get right out to them with the camera. Yeah. Um, yeah, they were they were feasting. Yeah, it's amazing. So if you go to Megan's blog and you uh, go to the search bar, you've got a great, it's easy to find. It's search. It's about a uh, couple sections down on the sidebar on the right. You can search, just search corn. And it's this post called Bees Love Corn. You got to see these pictures. They are really something else. I love them. I'm going to forward this post to um, to Dawn Pape. And I'm also yeah, going to post it in the, in the community because it's really, really great. So you can also go to the Still Growing uh, Facebook uh, group and uh, check it out there. Well, let's take a virtual tour of your garden. We've gotten to know um, some aspects of your garden. Let's pretend yeah. that I've just parked my car. I'm walking up to your house right. and you're coming out with a glass of lemonade or some homemade beer, whatever. Maybe, maybe that's what I would have. <laughs> it could happen. And let's walk yeah. through your garden. Walk me through. Tell me about it. Okay, well, the first thing you're going to notice is that um, I have a lot of really tall plants. Um, This year, I am growing corn, so there's corn right in the middle of the backyard. There's a little patch of that. Um, But I'm also growing sunflowers and amaranth mixed in together. Okay. And sunflowers at the moment are dominating everything. 
I have about three of them that are open, and they are about 12 feet tall. Wow. Yeah. Um, I guess I should have seen that coming. Um, it, actually, <laughs> I looked it up later, and it said on the package, it's grow to be 12 feet tall, you know, because I don't know wow. exactly how tall they are. It's not like <laughs> I can, you know, have a basketball goal next to it or something to get um, a good visual. But, yeah, they they are well, well over my head. So um, I think that's probably the first the first noticeable thing. Um, and the amaranth, um, I don't know how many people have, have seen it growing and have a good idea what it looks like, but I, uh, I thought it would be really pretty mixed in with the sunflowers and it is, but it also is trying to outgrow them to get to the sun. And so I also have amaranth that's 12 feet tall, um, which apparently is not always what it does. Um, I have uh, a friend who planted the same type. I actually just saw her garden this week, and her amaranth is lovely, and it's doing well, and it's about three feet tall. <laughs> so huh. apparently it's a pretty versatile plant, but um, those would be the first things you would notice. Um, you would also see um, squash is trying to take over everything right now, and it's it's looking a little yellow, but it's hanging in there, so that's good. Um, you would see the tomatoes. I have eh, kind of do-it-yourself tomato teepees or trellises at the moment. I started out with bamboo poles, um, and then I just kind of <laughs> kind of kept pulling more things out of the garage. So uh, I have a lot of, of just like tree branches that are being used as trellises. I think it actually looks kind of nice, but um, it's a little makeshift at the moment. Um, and we have actual trees. Uh, we have a dozen apple trees okay, and a, a lot of other fruit plants growing currants, there's a whole sense that's grapes, hazelnut trees, and honeyberry, which are, uh, you might be familiar with this. They're like a blueberry, but they're, I don't know, they're more specialized for a particular climate. Okay. I don't know as much about them as I should. They're kind of my huh. husband's thing. Oh, that's interesting. But, um, but yeah, I'm around a long um, uh, lot, but it is essentially a city lot, Um so it's it's uh, it's fun to see how much you can fit back into a single yard. Yes. Uh, our neighbors are actually, and a lot of people in our neighborhood have big gardens. So, oh, they do. Uh, yeah, we don't look at all out of place on this street. But, oh, that's um, great. Yeah, but it really it really is a lot of plants altogether. I don't think we have room for any more trees. It's a matter of discussion. <laughs> it's a matter of discussion. It's rock, paper, scissors. We're going to wait to see who wins this one. Um, well, what's it like having your own beehive, and where do you have it? Where is it at on your property? It's at the very back of our yard, and that's because it's in a shady spot. Um, because it's been so hot this summer, we were really worried about the bees overheating. But it works out really well because it's it's nice. They're back kind of under a tree, and it gives them room to... Um, fly in and fly out. It's funny, you wouldn't know the beehive was there unless somebody told you or unless you, you really walked right up next to it. Okay. And you don't notice that many bees. Um, one thing that's, well, and, and maybe this isn't isn't the best way to do it, but I am not a very active beekeeper. Again, it's something that my husband's more into, but they're pretty self-sufficient. I mean, it's like having pets that go find their own food. Hmm. So... Um, there's not a whole lot that you, that you need to do, um, you know, during the summer when things are blooming, you kind of just let them go on their own 
and they do pretty well. It's also because they spend a lot of time inside the hives, it's hard to get a sense of how many bees there are, which can be kind of interesting. You know, like when you do open up the hive, it's sort of shocking, like, oh, <laughs> there are lots of bees in here. And hundreds of bees in here. Wow. But if you're just walking past it, it's kind of like seeing um, um, planes taking off on a runway. You know, they they uh, are flying into and out of the hive, but they have a pretty long approach. You know, they're flying out, they're out getting food, they're all over. Um, and so you'll see a few of them, you know, coming in or hanging out outside the hive at any one time. Wow. Uh, there are times when there are more that are outside, especially when it's hot, and that can that can be pretty interesting to see them them crawling around. I think the picture I posted on the blog was at a time when there were a lot of them out outside. So you can get a sense that there are quite a few of them. Hmm. Now, are you an easily enchanted gardener or do you resist allowing your emotions to guide you in the garden? Let's see. Like, are you planful? Well, are you really super controlled about what you'll plant or do you just oh, kind of, no. you just kind of <laughs> go with it? <laughs> okay. Now I got you. Yes. Um, I would classify my classify myself as being a very experimental gardener. I, you know, I just tend to throw a lot of things out there and see what works, um, which sometimes goes well and sometimes does not go well. Um, and when I blog about it, I try and be really honest, like, this did not work. Yes. <laughs> um, I probably don't focus on the failures on the blog nearly as much as, as I do <laughs> when I'm actually out in the garden, like, this really didn't work. But, um, <laughs> no, I, you know, I... I like eating things that come out of the garden, but I also just like seeing what the plants do in different conditions, you know, and it's like, well, what's that going to look like if it flowers? What's it going to look like if it goes to seed? Um, you know, or just, just trying, like, I wonder what this trellis will do. Or, you know, the right now I have squash crawling all over my tomato plants, and uh, it's trying to climb the sunflowers too, which is interesting. Um, but my attitude is very much like, doesn't you know? Let's let's see how it goes. So um, it makes things look a little bit messy sometimes, but I find it fascinating. Um, I enjoy uh, that approach partly just because it gives me more things to photograph. Um, if a plant starts doing something unusual, I like to be able to capture it, and that makes it fun. Yeah, that's true. You know, uh, something that I really appreciate about you, I mean, I would agree you are an experimental gardener. Um, but attached to that, you are also very generous with the things that you discover. And I'm thinking specifically about garlic, because you have posted oh. some very helpful ideas on storing uh, garlic and dealing with the garlic harvest. One thing you posted was a YouTube video on braiding mm -hmm. that you found. Uh, it was from Garden Nerd One on YouTube. Yes. And the other yes. was something yes. that some of your friends had showed you during a visit. Can you share both of those things for listeners? And then um, oh, sure. talk to me a little bit about how you find good content like that? If you're trying to figure out how to do something, um, it's so easy to go online and look for a video. And I, I have just been trying to figure out, I, I have finally gotten to the point where I have a decent-sized garlic harvest, which is exciting. But then you start thinking about, well, how am I going to store this? So um, I had seen garlic braids, and they, they look beautiful. So I went online and was looking for videos um, and found that terrific one from Gardener, which really spells out how to do it. And I have to confess that when I tried it on my own, um, I failed 
utterly <laughs> really had a hard time. But I you know, it's not the it's not the video's fault for sure. Um <laughs> I had I had a fun conversation with her on Twitter about that. But I've never been able to French braid hair and it's really kind of the same technique. Oh, okay. Um, it just requires a lot of coordination. It's like you have a couple of strands of garlic uh, going, and then you keep weaving in additional strands. You keep weaving in um, additional strands? Weaving in additional strands. In the oh, same okay. way that if you're trying to French braid hair, um, you you keep bringing in additional pieces. And it's just, you kind of have to hold on to it all at the same time. So at a certain point, I just gave up. I just kind of <laughs> looped it together. I, and I hung it from the rafters in my garage and said, okay, this is close enough. Good enough, but good I, enough. You know, it, there's so much information online that I think it can be hard to find. Um, it can be hard to find things sometimes. You know, you can wait through eight or ten different videos before you find one that's really good. So when I, I do find something... Um, I like to share it if I can, and Twitter is such an easy way to do that. So it's also fun to be able to interact with people who've created those things. I like being able to touch book authors on Twitter too. Um, yeah, it's so fun to be able to say, "Oh, hey, you know, <laughs> you really enjoyed a book," and just get on and tweet about it. And the next thing you know, you have a message from the author. It's pretty cool. <laughs> That's right. Now, what yeah, about uh, what about right. your friends that did the that um, that had the clever way oh, to yeah. store well, garlic? That was just the, really geeking out. Yeah. Um <laughs> I was maybe a little bit embarrassed about that, but I still I still wanted to share it. So um you know, I have have uh, some good friends who live in Wichita and uh um we were passing through on a road trip and they were so nice and we I stayed at their house and um we spent the night there but they had other guests. So this is how nice they were. They were willing to let us come in on a road trip, even though they had other people in town. Nice. But because of that, we were staying in um, um, their storage room, and that's where the garlic was hanging out. So you can just imagine, like, I'm on a road trip, so I have my camera with me. We're in a room where there's garlic hanging from the ceiling. <laughs> and I just couldn't resist. Like, this is really cool. I really like this garlic storage system. So I... Uh, so, I, t- I was taking a couple pictures, and my husband came in and said, oh, of course. <laughs> 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 and so then I was asking them about it, like, you know, I, sorry, I took pictures of the garlic in your storage room. <laughs> like, is it okay if I post this on the Internet? And my friends are so nice. Of course, they said, sure. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens. You let but, a blogger into your house. Yeah, yep. uh, mm-hmm. um, but I, I did think it was a really cool system. Um, I like. I like the produce bag thing um, because not only is it mesh and they had it hanging from the ceiling, but they had, um, it made it really easy to sort by variety. Um, So they had everything really well labeled, which I I respect because I tend to lose garden labels fairly early in the season. It's one of the real frustrations and things I struggle with is keeping things labeled long enough to know for sure which variety it is. Mm, Sure. Yeah, that, well, was, that was a really nice perk of that system. Yeah, and to and to describe it, they had produce bags, so they must save mm-hmm. them when they get them from the store. Is that what they did? Do you think I they were know. reusing? I didn't about that. I'm wondering about that, or if they just bought them online. I could I could see it either way. Yeah, they so they had these, um, you know, the mesh. They look it looks like fish netting um, produce bags. 
And then um, they kind of hung them upside down because the mesh is yeah. what's supporting them. They're on, it looks like they're on uh, S hooks or on uh, nails that are attached mm-hmm. to the rafters in their basement, in their unfinished basement. And then on the tag, they just write, you know, the kind of garlic. So they've got burgundy, right. it looks like. They've got, uh, oh man, I can't read their writing. Uh, yeah, I chestnut? can't remember, but I it's uh, yeah. lots of different probably types. eight different kinds of garlic. So yes. all of them in these small bags that are all suspended. So it's it's a great way to store them, but also to keep them separate and labeled. I yes, was, I was very impressed. They really did a great job. So that's on your blog. Yeah. That's on your blog as well. Mm-hmm. So people can go and check that out. And the title of that post is called "Friends with Garlic." If you're looking for a yeah. creative way to store garlic, so Megan, you grow so many edibles. But if you could only grow five, I'm curious what would be in your top five. What makes your five top five list? Something. Okay. Well, top five things you um, have to grow. <laughs> I I really love salsa, and I really love homemade salsa. So I think that's going to take care of three of them right away, which yep. is I have to have tomatoes, okay. hot peppers, and garlic. Because I, I really love a, a garlicky salsa. Yep. Um, so those three for sure. I've also, I've, I've kind of gotten excited about pickles um, oh. lately, especially... Um, I turned both refrigerator pickles and um, I'm trying to do the natural fermentation thing too. Yeah. I've been experimenting um, with that more this summer. So because of that, I really love cucumbers. I like fresh cucumbers too, but I I uh, have ended up with a pretty good technique for refrigerator pickles. I found a recipe I like online and I've been using that a lot. Um, and uh, I think green beans are mm. are the other thing that I really love pickled. So those would be my other two. Now, do you grow uh, bush beans or how do you grow your beans? I grow um, a little bit of everything. I do some pole beans and some bush beans. Okay. Um, I think I have a blog post on there somewhere called Seven Kinds of Beans okay. from last year. I'm growing about, about that many this year. My husband was just asking and passing last week, like, oh, how are the beans doing? And it took me a while <laughs> to get through the list. Like, well, here's what these are doing. And, you know, then there are these and these and these. And I'm sure he was sorry he'd asked. But, He's like, why uh, yeah. did I bring up the beans? Right. <laughs> you know, fish beans are nice because you can kind of put them in anywhere. Um, but I think beans are so beautiful to growing on a trellis, too. They are. Um, yeah, and they're fun to photograph, which is another reason that that would have to be on my, my short list of things I would grow, um, especially yard-long beans. Uh, they're just beautiful, and they're pole beans. They're really interesting looking. They have have uh, really pretty flowers, too. I have, I've taken a lot of pictures of those. Yeah, yeah, you did. You took a lot of great pictures of your beans. I see. I'm looking at it here. It's great. Yeah, Megan, you're so honest. I love you're very conversational when you post and you said, you said here, not until I sat down to type this up, did I realize I'm growing seven different kinds of beans right now. Seems excessive. (laughs) Oh, well, here they are. And then you start to rattle through them. I love that about you. I'm glad you enjoy that. It's it's, it's fun to write. I Um, adore it. But yeah, I mean, that's 
that's kind of how that happens. Um, I could say that I planned it, but it wouldn't be true. <laughs> well, there you go. Sometimes I just sometimes you just get a little carried away. That's right. Yeah, that's what happens. Now, what do you like to do with your garden harvest? Do you have some go-to recipes, maybe one or two things? I mean, obviously salsa. I'm sure you've got a great salsa recipe. But it, yeah. what other things? Like, So you've got your salsa recipe. Give me a couple more. Yeah, I would say um, the refrigerator pickles are one of my go-to things, too. I'm not a big cook, actually. Um, it's I uh, experimental gardening works well for me, but I also <laughs> tend to do a little experimental with cooking. <laughs> I don't have a lot of recipes that that uh, you would want to share, unfortunately. <laughs> but um, I would say would say for using uh, vegetables, you know, I do a lot of salads. Um, I am enjoying. Uh, so many different things pickled and then just a lot of roast vegetables I feel like those are all kind of go-to things like all right um, I haven't had a lot of success with root vegetables but they're when I do they're so good roasted and you can throw a lot of things in together yeah Um, gardening really changes the way you think about about um, cooking and what you're going to have for dinner yes it does I've been thinking the last month, it's been like, what else can we make that uses basil? <laughs> because we have so much of it. Uh, it definitely changes your perspective. Yeah, so. it does. Do you make a lot of pesto? I, I really like pesto, but I kind of enjoy eating it maybe once or twice a year. Okay. So I've, and I've tried freezing it for the winter. Um, so I like it, and I've, I've made quite a bit of it because I've had so much pesto, you know, so much mm-hmm. basil. Yep. Um, it's the obvious thing to do with it. Um, but I also have, have definitely been at the point for the last month where it's like, okay, I'm not really needing to make any more pesto. What else can I do with this? Sure. Which is how I ended up doing pickled basil, um, which was really kind of a move of desperation. But I, <laughs> I think it's pretty good. Well, there you go. What did you do? Tell, walk us through it. How do you pickle basil? Well... <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, how do you pickle anything? There, there are multiple approaches you can take. It would probably be pretty good with just a, a standard refrigerator pickle recipe. Sure. Um, but, um, you know, and if you did that, I think the important thing is on your recipe where you get about half water and about half vinegar. Yep. Um, if you use vinegar, I think using flavored vinegars is uh, really helpful. Like you don't want to do just white distilled vinegar, even apple cider vinegar. Oh, okay. A little bit of a specialty vinegar with refrigerator pickles makes a big difference. And, and you know, once you have, have that blend kind of figured out, um, you can you can pickle anything. Hmm. But I am trying the natural fermentation. Uh, I like Sander Katz and all that, and was looking up the recipe for um, basic vegetable ferment um, online. So... I don't know. It's still definitely at the don't try this at home stage. <laughs> Wait and see how it goes. <laughs> all right. <laughs> but all I, right. I've been doing some basic vegetable fermentation in canning jars, and so far it seems to be going pretty well. Well, there you go. Now, what do you regard as uh, your central strength as a gardener? What are you good at, Megan? Oh, uh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I think. As a gardener, it matters if you just really enjoy it. You know, if you enjoy it, and if you're lucky enough to be able to garden in your backyard where you can be out there um, a lot, and if you have time to do that, that's really what makes a difference. You know, it's being able to go out and see what the plants are doing every day and noticing when things are are going wrong, noticing when things are going right, um, harvesting 
when they're ripe. I would say that, yeah, for me, the biggest strength is just that I like it and I want to be outside and working in the garden and trying new things. Yes. Um, I don't necessarily, I'm not one of those people who gets stressed out or is just done when it's October. Um, it's like, okay, well, what have I still got going or, you know, what can I put in now? Um, so, uh, yeah, I think, um, that's another thing that's leading me to do, you know, kind of a year round approach to gardening. There's almost always something that you can be growing or harvesting and, and I just enjoy it. Well, speaking of bloggers, in terms Mm -hmm. of connections, what garden bloggers do you admire and follow? Well, I generally uh, follow garden bloggers through Twitter. So I'm not sure it's going to be easy to give you a list of names, although Modern Mia stands out as one that I follow a lot. I would say that I have a group of about 30 different um, um, gardeners that I follow on Twitter. Most of them are bloggers. Some of them are book authors. I mix in a few seed companies. Um and uh, just keep them together as a list so I can always check in and see what people are doing. So, yeah, I, you know, it's funny. Even though I, I blog myself, um, I don't tend to go to one person and read every single thing they post. I'm more likely to go on Twitter uh, and, you know, see people that I'm familiar with, see if they have a new post up, and then go from there. Oh, I, I really like following uh, James Wong. At, How do you spell that? Um, at Botany Geek. Is the Twitter handle. Okay. What do you like about him? Well, he actually really knows his stuff. Like, if you look at his profile, it says he's a science writer and BBC broadcaster. Okay. He's always posting really interesting stuff about plants. But another example of how it's it's funny, it's like the geographic boundaries don't matter as much. There are an awful lot of people um, doing this who aren't in the United States. Let's see. And then there's somebody I follow and I really like what she does. She's always writing about her ducks. Her ducks? <laughs> yeah, runner ducks. Huh. And I'm not sure I'm saying this right, but it's Melina Wade Stahl. I can spell it. It's at M-E-L-I-N-A-W-S-P-A-A-L. She always has wonderful pictures of ducks. Wow. Melina Wade Stahl, huh? Yeah. And runner ducks specifically. Wow, very cute. Yeah, and she's a blogger too. Awesome, I'm going to check that out. So here's another another uh, British gardener. I <laughs> I follow Suffolk Boy. <laughs> Suffolk Boy, is he a garden blogger? Uh, he's in that's a particular area of the UK, and he's he is he's a garden blogger. His actual blog is called The Gardening Adventures of Suffolk Boy. Hmm. <laughs> Okay, so we've got a few here to go check out. Why don't we wrap the show by having you tell okay. us some of the things that you're going to do as you bring your garden to a close this year? All right. Well, hopefully I have a lot of tomatoes harvest. I'm still sort of holding my breath. Um, also, I'm, I'm pretty excited right now. I've got, um, I did a Three Sisters garden plot, and which, you know, is, is uh, corn beans and squash together. So I just started harvesting the corn. I'm really excited about that. I did uh, grain corn. Um, so it's uh, to be ground up into cornmeal. Okay. And I'll probably do, end up doing that over the winter because the corn has to dry. So right now I've got garlic um, hanging in my garage to dry. I just added the corn. It is sort of strung together haphazardly. <laughs> 
I should post a picture of that at some point. Um, but I've I've been too embarrassed at how raggedy it looks. But I need to take a picture of the inside of my garage with all the vegetables hanging from the rafters because it is kind of funny. Wow. Yeah, do take a picture but, of that. I'd love to see it. Yeah, but I'm looking forward to harvesting the rest of the corn. And then the um, uh, pole beans are running up the corn stalks, so it'll be time to harvest this before too long, too. Um, I'm holding my breath, but I think I might actually end up with winter squash this year, um, which is definitely a first. I usually get a couple of summer squash before the plants die, but I have. I think I'm going to be able to harvest at least one winter squash, <laughs> which is a new record for me. So that's, that's awesome. Good. Yeah, so uh, so those are the big things I'm I'm excited about harvesting. I'm also um, doing some planting for fall because it's it's uh, that time in in my climate um, to plant more greens. Of course, so I've yes. got some more kale that needs to go in. Okay, um, I'm hoping that I can keep nursing the kale plants I already have had going all year along for a little while, but. Uh, just to be sure that I have plenty to harvest, I'll probably um, go ahead and put in a bit more. And then also, um, last year was the first year that we did a cover crop. Oh. Um, we did, um, I can't remember, I think rye, oats, uh, and radishes together. Okay. I need to need to look up some more information on seed blends and that kind of the optimal way to do that. Um, this year, oh, what am I saying? Clover. We have so much clover. Yeah. Wow. Uh, lots and lots of lots of clover, which uh, did pretty well. It um, it was a nice cover crop in that it um, um, it was green during the winter. You know, doing what it's supposed to do, keeping the soil covered, pumping more nutrients into the soil. Um, but it was pretty easy to tear out, um, which is nice when it was time to actually plant. So definitely more more clover as a cover crop this year. Okay. And then the radishes help break up the soil, so that was nice. Um, and then as a nice side effect of that, of course, you can harvest the radishes, too, using that's right. um, daikon mainly. Yeah. Yep, that's right. Yeah. They bust it up, yeah, so, and, and you've got clay just like I've got clay, so yeah, it's a constant challenge. Right. So daikon is supposed to really help break up that, that clay. And I've got some other winter radishes to try. So it's August right now as I'm talking to you, um, so there's an awful lot. Uh, to do. We'll have um, tomatoes probably through October unless we get an early snow. And then I'm hoping uh, this winter I'll rig up another cold frame and keep things going. So we'll see how that goes. Well, I love that. And in the meantime, people can track what you're doing, what you're up to by going to your blog, Seeds, Mulch, and Weeds, and they Mm -hmm. can find you on Twitter. What's your Twitter handle? Um, It's just Seeds, Mulch, Weeds. Okay, just seeds, mulch, weeds. All right. Yep. Well, Megan, this has been a total pleasure. I really appreciate it. Okay. Well, All this right. has been great. Thank All you, right. Megan. Thank you very much. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, that's it for the show today. I want to thank Megan Phelps of Seeds, Mulch, and Weeds for being my guest. I want to thank my team at Podfly Productions, David Myers, Ein Kadena, and David Gregerson. And just a reminder that I'll have all the generous information that Megan shared on the show today at my website, sixfootmama.com, the home of the Still Growing Podcast. And all you have to do is click on the podcast page and all of the show notes for every episode will pop right up. And that's again on my website at sixfootmama.com. It's the number six, F T. 
M-A-M-A.com. And again, I'd love to invite you to join the Still Growing Podcast group on Facebook. That's our listener community for the show. It's a great place to ask questions. You can share your own garden stories. And you also have a chance to win some of the really awesome garden giveaways from my guests and sponsors. It's the only place I go to pick winners. So go ahead, check it out. I'd love to meet you in the Still Growing Podcast group on Facebook. Have a great week, everyone. Still Growing with Jennifer Ebling is a SixFootMama.com production made in lovely Maple Grove, Minnesota. Still Growing is a weekly gardening podcast dedicated to helping you and your garden grow.